This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are going to continue our conversation about the increase in the minimum wage announced uh, the last hour. And uh, workers are welcoming it. But what about small businesses, many of whom are struggling because of the pandemic? So again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And let's bring in Julie Kwiczynski, Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Hi, Julie. Hi, Libby. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. Okay, well, how much of a problem is it that this kind of came uh, as a surprise? Well, again, we have a surprise, unexpected decision from this government that you wouldn't expect. There was no consultation, and clearly this government looks like it's lost its way with small business. I mean, we're looking at this coming at the worst possible time for small firms, Libby. As you pointed out so astutely uh, in your intro, small businesses are struggling right now. Today, only 37% of them are at normal revenues. 18% are actively considering bankruptcy. And many are operating at a loss every single day that they're open. And if that's not bad enough for a small business, the average COVID-19-related debt is a whopping 190000 and small business owners are telling us it will take them two or more years to get out of that debt. So if you fast forward to January, when this minimum wage increase will actually take effect, you're looking at the perfect storm. You already have a number of cost pressures. Commercial insurance rates are rocketing. The largest Canada pension plan rise to date under the federal government CPP increase plan will take effect at the same time. And there's something a lot of people may not be aware of. We've had commercial eviction protection in this province and that will lapse in mid-January. So at that point, landlords could be asking tenants to immediately make up for months and months of unpaid rent. And so just a minute, but um, atrocious, Libby. It's 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 also January is the time when when things get very quiet after what's hopefully a good Christmas season. Absolutely. And if we look back at what happened last year, Libby, I'm sure you'll recall that that's when the Ontario government basically funneled shoppers to big box stores and retailers were restricted to curbside pickup and delivery. So once again, I mean, we're going into a holiday season. We're still sensing that there's a lack of consumer confidence to get out there and shop after people have been told for months to stay at home. So It remains to be seen how successful this holiday season is. And as you said yourself, January is a slow month, and even February and March tend to be slow months too. But even like, let's look at restaurants. Yeah, I wanted to get there. So um, their increase, I mean, at least for other businesses, uh, the increase is 65 cents an hour, but it's more for restaurants. Oh, absolutely. So now what's happening, Libby, is the liquor server's wage is being eliminated, so it will be at par with the general minimum wage. So we're looking at only 60 days notice during a pandemic for a restaurant of a 20% increase of $2.45 per hour to the liquor server's wage. So if you're already struggling, how are you supposed to find the money to cover this wage increase. And what that means, Libby, is for some businesses, they will have to make very difficult decisions. Everything from, should I even operate? Should I shut down? Should I stop hiring and maybe have less people do the jobs that I currently have, reduce hours for current employees, delay investments in my business, hire fewer young or inexperienced workers, or increase prices? Because if you don't have the money to pay for this, you've got to find a way to do it because the government's not offering anything. Okay, just before we wrap things up, I'm going to take a call from Tony in 
Pefferla. Hi, Tony. Hello, hello. Here's what happens, and I love your show, by the way. Thank you. Time. Uh, when the left hand and the right hand don't know what they're doing, you end up getting a dirty face on one side and a clean on the other because Ford doesn't know about restaurant small business. I was in the restaurant business now for 35 years, and these guys got a lot of years to come before they even look or see a profit, and then he's compounding that on top. It's like having a mule who's got excess on his back, and then you're throwing in another 100 pounds, not 10 pounds, on top of his back and saying, okay, deal with it. Man, it, it, I feel bad now. I feel bad for these small businesses. It's, and I know I've been there. And I, back, you know, and I've seen it happen. And all that's going to happen here now is either they're going to close up shop. You know, bad timing for that. Good timing for him because voting time. And that's why he threw that bone out there for people, right? So yeah. uh, uh, it's too bad. I mean, I, when I see this, I laugh and I go, what a joke. What a joke. This oh. is ridiculous. Okay, you know? Tony. Thank you for that. Uh, that's all the time we have for this segment. Thank you so much, uh, Julie Kwasinski. Thank you, Libby. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, we are going to take another break. And when we come back, uh, you know, are you thinking maybe selling your home given the huge prices? What about those real estate commissions? We have some important information on that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. For many Zoomers, their homes are the bedrock of their retirement savings. And if you want to downsize, this could be a great time to sell given the huge increase in house prices. So what about real estate commissions? You know, the standard as far as I understand, is still 5%. And, you know, that may have been reasonable when average prices were three, four, even $500,000. But now that the average price here in Toronto is over a million dollars, that would translate to $50,000. You know, a lot of people don't make that in a year, which is why lower commission services have been cropping up you know, one or 2% split between the two agents. But recent investigations have found that some agents steer their clients away from deals involving lower commissions. Now that's illegal, but it's not enforced. According to our next guests, we'd like to hear from you if you're thinking of selling or buying, or you're wondering about these commissions, 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-744-740. And now I'd like to welcome Michael Walsh, president of Exclusively Buyers, Inc. Brokerage, alongside consumer advocate and journalist Ellen Roseman. Hi, thanks for joining us. Hi, Libby. Hello, Libby. So, uh, Ellen, um, is this a common practice, this steering? Well, the average... uh, uh customer probably doesn't even know because if their agent isn't showing them properties that they want, they have excuses. And the reason it happens, and it's right now an issue, is that CBC Marketplace did a hidden camera investigation with 50 different uh, uh, transactions. And uh, there, were, there was one case where on tape, the real estate agent kept saying, I called them four times and they never responded. I never got any kind of confirmation. And then they went back to the homeowner who was selling the house and she said, I never got a single call. So this is the kind of thing that can happen because the real estate agents who get the commissions on the sale and it's taken out of the sale proceeds, they don't like getting less than two and a half percent. And it's easy enough to tell the buyer, well, there's plenty of properties and, uh, you know, let's go to these ones and let's not go to these ones and make excuses as to why they didn't go to those that uh, the buyer might have preferred. Well, it was just hard to get the uh, to get access. In some cases, they talked about tenants who are blocking access. And there's all these excuses that buyers might listen to and believe. Michael, what's your take on on the commission? I mean, you know, I I remember it's been a long time since we bought or sold houses. And yeah, we paid 5%. But, uh, you know, uh, we paid a lot less for the house. And even, you know, without inflation, uh, it seems pretty crazy, you know, 5% on million dollars. Well, I mean, the the, uh, listing agent... um their job is to 
is to get the seller at the highest possible price they can. Right. Right. Um, so, um, to the to the extent that uh, a listing agent can can um, affect the price, and I believe they can, then five um, percent. I mean, the, the quantum is something just to be negotiated between the agent and the seller. And, you know, fairness, I don't think, comes into it. Uh, okay. I'm not really following you, um, Ellen. I mean, is 5% too much uh, when average house prices are a million bucks? Uh Today, as well, houses sell very, very quickly. As long as they are, you know, reasonable shape and good neighborhoods, they sell within a day or two. So I guess you need an agent to help sort through the bids and help you negotiate. But it's, it was different when it, houses might be on the market for three, five, six months, you know, depending on where you lived. And they did a heck of a lot more work. Um, and, uh, there's a conflict when, uh, the, uh, listing agent and the agent working for the buyer work for the same firm, conflict of interest, because they don't want the agent for the buyer to bring down the sale price too much and result in lower commissions for the uh, listing agent who's selling it. So there's kind of a tacit agreement that the buyer's agent won't negotiate a much, much lower price than if you had uh, an agent who didn't work for the same firm as the listing agent. Michael talks a lot about that, and that's the reason why he set himself up as an exclusive buying agent. Okay, well, I remember the bad old days when, when agents, like a single agent, would represent both both ends of the deal. Yeah, right. that's a conflict, Maybe it's sure. more than a tacit agreement. It's actually the law yep. that a an agent representing a buyer cannot negotiate against the interests of the seller if yep. the house is listed at the agent's brokerage. That's the law. Yeah, and uh, it, yeah, and uh, I, I don't know if the law was changed, Ellen. I remember way back when, actually, the law was that even if you said you were representing a buyer, you're actually representing a seller. <laughs> That's going way back. That's going, so that's gone? Uh, no, no. Um, it used to be that every real estate agent was legally uh, working for the seller. Okay, but that, I'm asking, that's no yeah. longer the case. Well, what uh, you can is, do now is, is hire a buyer agent to represent you, and uh, they have to give you, uh, like, uh, they're representing your interests. Whereas if you're working with a normal agent, they're representing the seller's interest. So um, the uh, buyer's agent cannot communicate in any way with the, the listing or the seller's agent to say, you know, how much you might want to bid or how much higher you would go if it's a multiple bidding situation. They have to be totally secretive about what your intentions are, whereas a normal agent might be able to negotiate in that way. Uh, I'm going to give the numbers out again. I'm pretty sure that most people in our audience are uh, more interested in selling than in buying. And again, uh, this whole issue of the commissions, I think, is a big deal. I mean, uh, I have no intention, my husband and I have no intention of selling our home, but the idea of of paying that much on such a, you know, it, well, I mean, I guess we make the money on an inflated price, but still. Yeah. So the numbers but- to call if uh, you're in that situation or you've thought about it, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Uh, Ellen, um, maybe you can tell us a bit more about these lower cost commissions. I mean... Yeah, there are lower cost commissions. There are fees, uh, co- companies out there that have lower fees. There's one I wrote about a number of years ago, and I was just checking to see if it was still around. It was called FeeDuck, and you put out the information about your home if you're selling it, and agents will compete for it, and it will continue going down as low as it can. And then at the end of it, you can choose a lower cost one. You don't have to. So you can work with these, you know, kind of unconventional real estate agents and systems. But the problem is that your house may be shunned, you know, that a lot of agents might say, I don't want to take my clients there because I'm not going to get as much and the seller's not going to get as much and they're probably just not 
thrilled with the whole idea. And meanwhile, uh, you don't know as a seller, uh, but you can tell, you know, like you don't know how busy you are and how busy you should be, but you probably can tell if you're hardly getting any buyers coming through with agents because maybe the uh, agents just don't want to have them visit your house. Michael, is there no conversation inside the industry saying, well, in this environment, maybe commissions should be lower? Again, if, if, if an average house price is a million bucks and uh, the, the, the house is on the market for a day or two, I mean, no? I mean, you, we see the ads on TV. There's that ad with the guy in the golf course. Uh, there's a company called Purple Bricks, which advertises. Sure. Purple yeah. Bricks is, yeah. Absolutely. The, 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 the sort of to, to, to simplify the, the matter, commissions um, on balance, it's 5%. You're quite right. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a very um, normal, it's not standard, nothing standard, it's all negotiable. But you see that 5% in the Toronto area more than you see anything else. And it's split between the listing agent and the buyer's agent. Two and a half goes to one, two and a half goes to the other. Right. So you want to lower the commissions? It's simple, right? Just don't offer anything to the buyer's agent. You have a listing agent listed for you for two and a half percent. You don't have to offer any more than a penny to to have it listed, to have your house listed on the MLS. Go ahead and do it. This is what the CBC documentary investigation was all about. It was all about the amount of money that is being offered to buyer's agents and how that influences the buying agent's actions. Well, doesn't the buying agent have to make some money? Nobody works for free. Well, yeah, exactly. Why, Why would a buyer's agent work for free? Yeah, but you were just suggesting that they offer a penny to the buyer's agent. They absolutely could, right? You are advertised then on the MLS. What's to stop a buying agent or buyer's agent from negotiating with their own buyer as to how much that agent should be paid? Doesn't the sell- sorry, okay. Ellen, doesn't the seller pay the entire commission? Yes, they usually do, but I think what Michael's suggesting is that the seller just pays a sales commission, and then the buyer will fork out the money to pay the agent that represents them in exchange for totally objective advice. I, I, yeah, I have a hunch that won't fly for buyers. They can, I mean, that's exactly where the industry is going. That's where we're going to end up. That that um, a seller will pay a real estate agent to help them sell their house. And a buyer, if they want, if they want to have help, if they want to have representation, will pay an agent to assist them in that regard. If but, they don't, they'll go directly to the listing agent and the deal will be done. Uh, yeah. Um, Ellen, again, I mean, uh, you know, the it seems like uh, if a number of years ago agents you know, would have thought they're doing well making, you know, $15,000 on a deal. Uh, this is a lot of inflation. They're making double what they used to on a deal. So, uh, again, you know, it's, it's the level of the commission. And not only that, houses are going above asking. There's so yeah. many bidding wars and uh, people are paying way above asking. So that inflates the commission even further. Well, correct. I'm taking that average price, which in Toronto now is a million and seventy or something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, is it Ellen? Is it just greed that you know, like why? Uh, why is it such an issue? I mean, when you can make a very nice living with a lower rate. I think it's because people don't sell houses that often. There's obviously some who just buy and sell every few years and renovate, that's a good way to make money tax-free. But others, uh, uh, if they're only selling like and buying every 10, 15, even 20 years, you know, and, and I've been married 40-odd years and we've only owned two houses, so you don't get too experienced at it and you don't really know what's going on and you just kind of feel that to get the best agents, sometimes if you do referrals, you find out who are the agents that are selling the most in your neighborhood and you go to those agents and they tell you this is how they work and you don't even know about alternatives. Or if you do an alternative, like you might do it 
for sale by owner. That's pretty hard. Uh, and I know that real estate agents who go door to door look at those for sale by owners uh, properties, and they they approach the owner and try and convert them to using a real estate agent because they can probably uh, do better that way. So I think that customers in Ontario aren't really challenging the industry that much. And uh, Michael's following what's going on in the U.S. with class actions, uh, but we tend to you know lag behind the U.S. So we need more consciousness raising, I guess, more awareness that there could be a different system. Well, I mean, you know, again, uh, and I'm going to take a call from Sharif in a moment because we don't have too much time, but, you know, the, the, the industry has changed. It takes a lot less to sell a house and the prices are a lot higher. And, you know, when, when things change, the prices generally do. I mean, I know that even in certain things in healthcare that were very labor intensive, you know, are not anymore. And the rates that say OHIP pays for certain things have changed because of that. Or, you know, even when we're buying a computer, right? What uh, you're talking about, Libby, is competition. Well, yeah, you would think. Yeah, exactly, right? What are the alternatives? If somebody wants to sell a house today, what are the alternatives? Well, There's nobody putting a gun to anybody's head. Well, yeah, they, except they if, if they're thing. being misled by their agent, uh, that's a different story. Let's hear from Sharif in Mississauga. Hi, Sharif. Hi, how are you? Fine. Go ahead. We, yeah, we... I want to make a comment about this uh, real estate commission. This is a rip-up. Let's see, million-dollar house, that's $50,000. In one day, house is listed, maybe one day, two days. In two days to make 15000 that's wrong. That thing had to stop. Uh, I hear you. Thank you, Sharif, for that. Uh, we are very quickly running out of time. Michael, what would you like to leave us with on this? I think that um, the... the, the the takeaway is that you know sh- people should be thinking as a se- as a seller, do I want to pay my agent to then have that agent hire somebody to negotiate against me, which is exactly what's happening in the current system. Right? Do I want that to happen? As a buyer, right? Do I want you know my agent? to be working exclusively for me? I would say yes, but that's my perspective. Ellen, uh, to wrap things up, do you think that uh, anything will change in terms of rates of commission? I hope so. Uh, The the strongest player we have right now is the Competition Bureau, which is the federal government, because for the longest time, if you used one of those low-cost listing agencies, you couldn't even list the property on the MLS. And without the MLS and multiple listing service, nobody would find your house. So at least these days, that's gone. The the government uh, made sure that that monopoly with the, you know, the high-priced realtors, uh, real estate agents didn't hold. But still, we need more progress. We need a variety of different arrangements. And we have to make sure that agents are giving uh, buyers a full choice of properties and not just the ones where the commissions are the right amount. Uh, okay, yeah. Anything else, Ellen, before we go? Um, I, I really would like to see more awareness, too. Maybe some good investigative journalists will get on the topic besides Marketplace and show where the law is being broken and uh, the industry is protecting itself because we need more protection for the average buyers and, buyers and sellers of real estate. Okay, education well, Education is key. Absolutely, uh, Ellen. Uh, uh, education, we need to ramp that up. Okay, we're out of time. Thanks so much, Michael Walsh and Ellen Roseman. Sure. Thanks, Libby. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel and the first order of business. We've got birthdays to celebrate and it's a birthday bonanza. John Capobianco and Karen Stintz and Charles Sousa's wife, who I hope is listening. (laughs) 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Happy birthday to Have you blown out the virtual candles? <laughs> it was a, yeah, a virtual fire in my house when I lit all the candles. <laughs> That's lovely. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you guys. That was uh, awesome. And I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the both. virtual cake. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, uh, you know, um, you guys are not the only people who are celebrating it, who have a reason to celebrate. The Ford government is raising minimum wage, as you heard in Bob's news, to $15 an hour as of January 1st. Uh, it's a bit of a reversal for them. And the Wynn government was set to do this, but the PCs canceled the bump when they took power. Uh, liberal leader Stephen Del Duca says that cost workers $6,200 in the interim. Andrea Horvath pegs the number at 5300 So will it be enough to win over workers ahead of the election or too little too late? And will it help solve our serious labor shortage? Uh, people out there, I want to hear from you. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to the panel, starting with Karen, who runs a business. Hi, Karen, and happy birthday again. Thank you. That was lovely. (laughs) That's the first happy birthday song I've had today, so that's lovely. no, we actually um, we actually budgeted the minimum wage increase into our uh, budget for this year, and it's going to cost us thirty thousand uh, dollars for to uh, assume this wage increase. Um, it won't be as bad as the last one because the last one had a ripple effect uh, throughout the organization that this one, because it's not as much, isn't going to have. Um, but there's no question it's a, a particularly um, interesting time in the in our recovery uh, to have this minimum wage increase. And uh, but I, I do think that the, that increase combined with the ending of the government support programs that were implemented during COVID will help return at least some part-time people into the job force. Um, but it will have an impact on business, no question. And it's a very difficult time because we do have this rising inflation in certain areas, but we have uh, no. But we also have not a lot of growth in our in our domestic products. So we've got this strange situation and. Um, it is an interesting time to be raising the minimum wage, I will say. Charles, you used to be finance minister. What do you make of it? Some of the supports are coming down. On the other hand, it is only 65 cents an hour. Uh, and um, you're, there's a shortage of labor. Yeah, you know, minimum wage at $15 is not... It was, Charles, when it was canceled in 2019, they also canceled sick days. And they, and they cited uh, how this would impact negatively with businesses. But studies have shown that with greater economic prosperity, you know, by sharing wealth, it propagates wealth, spending spurs some economic growth. The problem we're having now is that inflation is high, and it is out of whack. And this is going to be pegged to inflation thereafter, as it was when we instituted it. We actually instituted uh, uh, minimum wage increases about 10 times over the last 11 years. Um, but... It is pegged against inflation, and that's what it should be. So the businesses, like, um, you know, what Karen and have us to deal with can then budget effectively and accommodate as they go forward. And that's what should be happening all along. And, uh, again, do you think it'll help solve the labor shortage, Charles? Um, well, people are going to, you know, not going to be receiving CERB. They're going to have to get back to work. I mean, this will help in terms of, probably, you know, properly compensating them to get back to work. Um, the labor shortage... It's not just minimum wage. It's providing access to economic immigrants who, who enable us to, to do the work and getting some of those that are most necessary in specific areas like the trades and in nursing and in PSWs. John, uh, Premier Ford made the announcement behind a sign that said, Working for Workers. Uh, and obviously, they are trying to court that segment. Uh, is that believable? 
Well, I think it is. I think if you know, if you followed um, Premier Ford's career, not only with uh, not only as as the premier, but also when he was a councillor, um, there's no question that he's always fashioned himself to be the champion of the little guy. Uh, both he and his late brother, uh, when they were in municipal politics, and, and it speaks to the fact that they've always had sort of this this amazing ability to kind of reach out to to all voters, but especially those that have maybe been dis- disenfranchised or or have never voted in the past. And, and he really has played up to that over the last little while. So this is a narrative I think that is in keeping with who he really is, um, and uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. So it, 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 this is just a yet another example of a policy that the premier has put in place that speaks to working for workers uh, over the course of the last little while. And, you know, Libby, the premier Ford has never been against raising minimum wage. He's always, he's only been against raising it in, in a way that, that puts businesses in a disadvantage and, and having it be increased by 65 cents versus, you know, in the past where, where the liberal government under, under uh, Kathleen Wynne and, and Charles, who, who was a phenomenal finance minister knew that the challenge is if you, if you raise minimum wage too much, it does put businesses at disadvantage. And I remember at the time, I think I was the chair of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce board when this was going on, and, and the businesses were supportive of a minimum wage, but they were not supportive of the leap to get there because it did put them on, on a disadvantage. So, you know, good and smart business leaders like Karen and others who budgeted for it um, were able to be prepared for this kind of a minimum wage, which obviously helps, especially, as Karen said, in a time like this when CERB payments are being phased out, this is an opportunity for businesses to attract workers back to work. So I think it's good news. Well, yeah, at the time, he did call it a job killer, though, Karen. Yeah, he did. And and I will say um, that they, when the Liberal government um, introduced the, the, the minimum wage increase and the escalation uh, schedule that they had, it was quite worrisome for us as a charity because we do have a lot of our staff are minimum wage, part time, um, you know, doing jobs that you know that they, they, they weren't, you know, originally it was targeted as you know trying to help families um, pay the bills, but you know most of our staff really were, as I say, working under twenty hours a week, and and it was it was a significant um, hit to our bottom line uh, the year that it was introduced, and so I will say that I was grateful for the reprieve. Uh, particularly, you know, nobody could have foresaw the impact of COVID, but um, then we were able to budget it. So, you know, I, I think that it it's not going to have the same impact as the original announcement did. It will have an impact on business. Um, but, I, you know, I think in the broader scheme of things, it's just, it's just a little bit unclear how the inflation is going to evolve and whether we're going to find ourselves in a stagflation environment whereby wages continue to go up, but productivity is not at the same time. And then what does that mean for interest rates? And so it's, it's, it's a little bit interesting to keep an eye on. Well, and the last time it wasn't just people who had people at minimum wage. <clears throat> I remember here, we, we don't have people were earning minimum wage uh, is kind of a point of pride that our entry level is what, like 20 or 25% above that. So we had to raise those rates and it kind of cascades all the way through. Exactly. Exactly. And this was not going to be that pronounced because the cascade effect isn't going to be that 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 great. Uh, let's take a call from Rhonda in Kitchener. Hi, Rhonda. Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon hello. to you. Thank you for taking my call. I'm calling in regards to the the wage increase. Yep. I'm sorry to put it so so bluntly. We're in such a mess before the COVID. The wages and everything's not balancing out. An ordinary Canadian cannot afford a house, and unless you're with a group of people, you can't afford nothing. And seniors, I mean, they're behind. We're all behind. We've been behind for more years than I can count because I'm hitting the senior thing. I mean, we don't get a raise in our pensions every five or ten years. I challenge the government, all government, without their perks to live on 15 bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah, And good. their pensions are raised, indexed to inflation. Ours isn't. I mean, nothing is fair anymore. I don't know where they get their, their numbers from, but they're not working for the ordinary Canadian or the seniors. We're way behind before this, COVID, before everything. We needed a raise like 15 years ago. Okay, Rhonda, thanks for that. You know what I mean? Here I mean, you can't, a senior is, can't even survive on their own and eat properly. I mean, it's, it's just sad that it, it comes to... They, they think it's such a good thing when everything is in such a mess. 
Okay, Rhonda, thanks. Yeah, um, and uh, there's also a, a big increase in the, the pay for MPPs, correct? Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, I think so. I'll have to check on that. Um, yeah, so um, it, uh, again, uh, Charles, do you think this is going to help the PCs out? Do, is it putting uh, the opposition further behind the eight ball? Or are they kind of eating their lunch? I mean, it's not, it's harder to, um, to, you know, accuse the, the Ford government of not caring by doing the increase in the minimum wage. Toronto's point, affordability is an issue. Those on fixed income are an issue. They have to address much more than just the minimum wage in order to make life more affordable for people. Um, and if the MVPs do raise their, their salaries, which is a possibility, we locked them and froze them all those years until we balanced the books consecutively for two years. And until that happens, they weren't getting raises. So they may now, because it's been every, it's been what, 10, 12 years since that has taken place. And that'll have a negative effect on them. They'll, they'll be seen as caring for themselves and not for others. Um, listen, I, I think uh, the issue with Doug Ford and the PCs relative to the other opposition parties is the fact that he has the power to implement some changes, and he's doing that. He's, he's saying things today that he didn't say three or four years ago, um, and, and people will recognize that he's changing his tune, and maybe that'll bode well for him. Hmm. Uh, John, before we move on to other levels of government, uh, I just want to, uh, you know, highlight something, uh, this, this government did, which I thought was a bit performative, shall we say. And uh, just before they passed the, uh, a law saying every worker has a right to wear a poppy. I'm, proudly wearing mine. And I mean, this is after the Whole Foods debacle last year. Uh, an American company said, oh, the poppies aren't part of the uniform, and there was a hue and cry. I mean, you know, do, to me, doing that, as I said, is performative. What do you think? Well, I, was, I, I completely support it. I think it's something that, that you know, he is unabashedly proud of, of, of the fact that, you know, um, that we should be celebrating and remembering uh, you know, are, are those men and women who died for us to make us free. And, and I think that, you know, we've seen some in the past where, you know, the, the, the companies and businesses don't want to wear poppies and this kind of stuff. So I, I actually think that what he, what he's done is, is, uh, is something that he's obviously very personally proud of and, and wants to do. I think the vast majority of Ontarians, uh, would be supportive of this kind of stuff. And I think it also just speaks to the kind of things that he's doing. Um, over the course of the last, you know, little while, we mentioned some of the, the workforce uh, recovery advisory committee work that he's done on helping workers, you know, by spending more time with their families, as an example. And we talked about the minimum wage. This all fits into the category of sort of making sure that he uh, is fighting for, you know, those who uh, need to be remembered, and especially with, uh, on a Remembrance Day in the, pot, in the, 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 the symbol of the poppy. And then, of course, at the, at the workers as well. Karen, am I being harsh saying this was just performative? Come on. No, I think it is performative. And um, and I think that, you know, Ford is looking at the tea leaves and there's the uh, legions are now talking about raising the flags to lower them because that's part of the ceremony. And then the prime minister is refusing to raise the flags and the, and the Capitol buildings. And so, you know, he sees an opportunity to defend veterans and make this statement about how it's the workers' right to wear a poppy. And he's just seemed to be on the good side of an issue that is mm-hmm. otherwise becoming, to be honest with you, a little bit uncomfortable for people. And so he just, he saw that and he took it. And it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody really feels like they can't wear a poppy at work. Yeah, and, yeah I don't think so either. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that's a burning issue in the day. But, you know, the, the it, bigger issues around how do we, you know, jointly honor the indigenous indigenous community that feels that they haven't received their their due course versus the the veterans who feel that this is a ceremonial issue that's very important to them and you know ford's gone up the middle and said well here i'm doing my part uh yeah 
um, on, on the poppy issue at work here, <laughs> here at the station, uh, I uh, issued a little order to the staff. Do not forget your poppies. <laughs> I remember <laughs> when I was at City TV, literally, they used to keep a stack for uh, the on-air people. And there used to be uh, somebody, you know, like we were sort of children would come around and check to make sure it hadn't fallen off and it was sitting right. So. Uh, there you go. I think the, the flag raising is uh, more of an issue. Um, Charles, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the poppy issue is a simple one. And to the fa- and the only reason it exists is because Whole Foods made it an issue. I know. And, and they, they jumped they were on it and took advantage of it. And it costs nothing. It costs the people nothing. And it costs the government nothing. And it costs the business nothing. It's a great, great opportunity for him to act upon it. But to recognize the indigenous people and, and the children and so forth, it's critical, too. He's not talking so much about that, though. And, and those are the things that uh, you have to balance out. And, and I, listen, I, uh, I, I, you know, he has to balance everything. Most politicians want to care for, for all those most in need, and that's really what he should be delving into. And we should find compensation as necessary for those indigenous individuals that we're suffering. Well, let's talk about that a bit more. So the government did not uh, agree with the court. They didn't drop an appeal of an order to pay out Indigenous children to the tune of $40,000 each. But uh, in the meantime, they're trying to negotiate a settlement. John, how does that sit with you? Well, I do think fit particularly well, and I think it speaks to the hypocrisy that that I think you know Canadians are starting to see, or maybe have seen, uh, with the prime minister. Um, you know, and, and of course, it, it was exasperated by by the fact that you know he was on vacation in Tofino during during National Indigenous uh, Day, Remembrance Day, uh, and and but but yeah, this is another example, and I think every Indigenous leader has basically said. Uh, that they should be dropping this case, you know, and, and Jagmeet Singh, I think, quite quite effectively during the campaign, maybe we all remember, was asking the prime minister to uh, to do that, and and you know, and he was saying in debates that you know that he didn't bring these indigenous cases to court when in fact it was not not true. So it's yet another example of government saying one thing and and wanting people to believe one thing, but yet actions show different something different. So I think it's gonna, I think it hurts him. I think it hurts his credibility. Um, but yet, you know, I think he's just continue on doing what he's doing, saying things and, and you know, and his government's actions are, are, are saying completely something different. Well, it would be a very expensive payout. Uh, and I think generally, I mean, Karen, is it different? Should they just pay up? Or I think that when you're trying to settle a lawsuit, you don't drop it. Yeah. And, and again, I, I feel that there's a piece of it I don't understand. Um, as to whether or not the government is really um, trying to hold the human rights tribunal to some level of responsibility that they didn't feel that they demonstrated, or whether this is about uh, the payout to those harmed by the government's lack of investing in child services. And so, if it, one thing I think very firmly is that the federal government hasn't made clear why it's appealing this issue. And it hasn't put forward a reasonable case for Canadians as to why they would take this measure when, by and large, I think the majority of Canadians would just say, well, if you're going to pay it out, why don't you just settle it and not, not drag the courts into it any further? So it just leads me to believe that there's, there's a piece of this I don't understand because nothing makes sense. There's <laughs> nothing about this action making sense to the average person as to why they would appeal this and then go on to these negotiations. And if they're really intent on settling, you don't settle with a stick. Right? You don't settle by saying, oh, but I still have this pending lawsuit against you. Right? You settle in good faith because you wish to settle. Uh, actually, so, I do think that's the way you settle in most lawsuits, yeah. not related to this. That is the way yeah. you settle. You do not drop the lawsuit. You say, hey, I'll drop it if we agree. And, and you're right. Normally, if, if it was a contentious approach to settling a litigation, mm-hmm. but this is supposed to be a reconciliation approach. Ah, right. Good point. Well, they are talking about this being a protective appeal, right? I mean, there's a manner that seems to be inconsistent because it's a very complex issue. You have certain children that have been in, in, in the school one day versus others that spent their entire childhood, and they all get the same remedy. So I think that's part of the issue. They're trying to strike a deal. They've already committed to paying the 40000 They said they're not going to pay anything less. They just want to make certain that they're not then open to counter suit and other things that may 
debate may happen as a result. So it's all legalese to me. And to your point, Karen, I don't understand it all. I understand that's how it's done, though, and yeah. done by any government, regardless of their political strength. Uh, I'm going to take a call from Doreen in Kingston. Hello, Doreen. Well, Debbie, you might have to cut me off and tell me you have a run at a time. <laughs> because um, I was really irked by the uh, by the lady who called in with a very one-sided opinion, strong opinion about the low wages. And I would want her to encourage her and other people who are who are just looking at the one side of it to consider. Like we complain about the groceries going up, and part of that is because of the paying employees. And now the the minimum wage. She's saying people can't live on that. Well, if the minimum wage keeps going up, there's not going to be any small businesses like um, the uh, fast food places because their costs are going up. Uh, for food and supplies, and I think they might want to look at or read up on it's not the big corporations that they're getting the wages from. It's the small business person, and uh, with their expenses, I mean, they're all holding on now by their fingertips, and uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not not, uh, saying that wages shouldn't go up, but I think not enough people are looking and considering how badly the fast food places and um, in food industry of any kind um, have suffered and how many have closed because of COVID and no business, no income. Yeah, that's a very good point, Doreen. Thanks. And and we have been looking at it, obviously. There's two sides to that. And um, yeah, there's no question that some businesses who are already struggling are, are going to be hurt by this. Moving right along, Karen, um, as a former municipal councillor, I've got to ask, uh, John Tory, the mayor, is in the middle of this uh, huge Rogers story with actually a pretty key role, I think. Uh, You know, what do you make of that? I I believe him that he crossed all the T's and dotted the I's in terms of an official conflict, but that was before this was uh, a massive story uh, involving one of the largest uh, and influential corporations in the country. Yeah, I, I think I, I don't think John Tory has to worry about it from an ethical standpoint, to be honest. But I, I do think politically, he's in a quagmire that he might want to extricate himself from as soon as possible, because this is going to become uglier before it gets settled, and no one's going to win. And I don't think he wants to be near it because it's not his fight. And so he's got a long history with the family, no question. He has a role to play within the trust for sure, but. He doesn't need to be part of this battle. So from a pragmatic perspective, I, if I were advising John and Tori, I'd say step away from this as soon as you can, because well, no good is going to come from this. Well, I, I would have thought the same thing, but, but you know, he, he almost sounded to me like he was close to tears when he was talking about his obligation to the Rogers family. And, and uh, I wonder if this might play a role in whether he runs again, Karen, or is that too far-fetched? Um, you know, I guess he's got great affection for the family. He's been close to the family. The family has been part of his success as well. So um, I don't doubt that the emotion was real. But I think to your point, though, Libby, if he's going to run again, he needs to step away from this in a, in a very material way. Yeah, that's, um, uh, you know, I have to say that uh, that I agree with you. Uh, Charles, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with Karen. He, um, he's been very close to the family, obviously, for many years. And it's a big part of his life. Uh, but for him to be on the payroll uh, as an advisor in some capacity, it's obviously just their way of providing for him. It, he has to step away from that for any perceptions of conflict. And it's not his fight, to to the point that Karen made earlier. Um, and he has nothing to be defensive about, uh, but he's sounding, though, he's sounding as he is because he's being questioned so much about it. So just put it aside. Just, no, I'm out of it. I, I don't, it's not my fight. I'm not going to get into it. The, let the family resolve their issues. I've done my part in the past. Uh, John, uh, what do you think? And also, you know, uh, now that uh, the amount that he's paid for being on this advisory board have come to light, it bugs a lot of people. 
Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I must. I, I, I must admit, I, I cut off for a bit, so I, I'm not fully fully appreciative of, of the full. Um, We're um, talking full, about John Tory in the middle of the Rogers debacle. Oh, yeah, you know, obviously, yeah, it, it's something that, uh, that that he holds dear to his heart. It was something that he made a commitment to uh, to Ted Rogers, obviously, when when before Ted passed away, that that he wanted John to sort of maintain some level of of of. of you know, control with respect to any potential family uh, family battles, as we're seeing right now in the, in the public. I think John's obviously torn. He's recused himself innumerable times at, at city council to make sure that there's no conflicts. But but obviously, this is something that is dear to him and, and his friendship with Ted Rogers, and something that obviously he's he's going to have to deal with. Um. Okay, uh, that uh, we're just going to go around the table because we're almost out of time. I th- I think on that one, Karen hit it on the head. It's a political thing now, uh, but let's go around the table as we prepare for the week ahead. Charles, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I know that uh, Trudeau and team are out and yeah. out in the UK and uh, trying to fight climate change. So let's see what comes back from that. There's a lot of talk, a lot of broken promises in the past, but. A new green economy is the way to go, so I'm hoping people will execute and implement accordingly. Karen, just talk? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, without trying at the table, it kind of talks, to be candid. And, uh, but, you know, they have to, they have to talk, to continue talking, and then they'll get to some resolution. But, you know, the one thing I think is interesting is the fact that the vaccine for children is, is you know, on the imminent horizon. And there seems to be very little of a plan of how that's going to get um, rolled rolled out and distributed. And so I, I, I just, that's the part I find interesting, and I'm watching with interest. John? Well, first off, I wish Karen and uh, and Charles's wife a long uh, birthday celebration, <laughs> not just today, but beyond today for the full week. So that's one thing I wish them both full week. <laughs> and um, I would also say, too, this is a, an important week for Ontario because the uh, the fall economic statement is being delivered um, on uh, on the November the 4th. And that'll be indicative of what the government's going to do by way of spending uh, going into uh, next year, which I think will be uh, something that all Ontarians will want to see. OK, on that note, we wrap things up. Thank you so much, Charles Sousa, John Capobianco and Karen Stintz. Thanks, Libby. Thanks. And happy birthday to you, too. Happy birthday. Thanks, everyone. Bye, Bye-bye. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will get the small business perspective on this increase in the minimum wage when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.